Blog Talk Radio. Kingway, Spock's beard, Locker's acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very hard. Four drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Spock is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Cedar's cat, Kim Peck's hat, you have said enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It's Thursday night at 7.30 Eastern Daylight Savings Time, and that means it's time for Trek Talk. And I'll be your most excellent host, Uncle Jim. And with me, as usual, are my truck experts. And we'll start off with Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. Bit of a warm spell. So, but we got some heat. There was some wind coming through the day, blowing around outside. But, uh, we saw some 90s over the weekend. Might see, I hear rumor, another 90 popping into the forecast again. So, it's still a little too warm right now. It should be. Yeah, it was uh, about 67 here in Vermont. It was a beautiful, warm, sunny day, gorgeous day. So I'm happy. I'm digging it. Only three more weeks till camp opens, so I'm kind of psyched about that. So that's good. That's good. And we also have with us Eric, and Eric's out in Portland. How are you doing tonight, Eric? I am doing very well. We're having a perfect spring day here. It's about 55 degrees or so, and uh, just absolutely beautiful outside. I, I can't complain about springtime in Portland. Except uh, no. it is terrible allergies for some folks, but I'm lucky not to have to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. So we have a really great show planned for you guys. I hope everybody had a great first contact day. Uh, we're going to be talking about Star Trek Lower Decks Season 2, Star Trek Picard Season 2, Star Trek Prodigy Season 1, and, of course, Discovery season four a lot of great stuff to talk about we're also going to squeeze in there a discussion about the cage the on-air pilot of star trek and where no man has gone before if you'd like to join in our conversation please give us a call at 646-668-2433 and make sure you follow us at facebook trek talking and beyond spell that all out give us a like give us a follow so you never miss a show also You'll see the Live Long and Prosper at the top of the page. Tell us where you're listening from. Every week, I pick 15 lucky fans. If you see a heart next to your name, that means you're going to be called out in a future fan shout-out on a show. So, Eric, why don't we dive right in and go around the globe with the numbers? Oh, this is one of my favorite parts of the show. Of course, we've got about 75% of our listeners or so who hail from the United States where we broadcast from, but we always like to give a shout-out to our international listeners And so this week coming in uh, still, I think for many weeks in a row now, is our number one international listening uh, country and setting a new record, believe it or not, with 5.37% of our listeners. We have the UK. 
Thank you, UK. Man, uh, we just are flabbergasted by how many listeners we have in the UK, how many people are downloading the show, the rate at which uh, the listenership is climbing. Thank you so much for listening to us. It, it really means a lot to us. And uh, five, over 5%, heading towards 6% of our listeners is a pretty pretty high mark. So, wow, thank you so much. Uh, in our number two spot, holding steady and has been here for a little while, Australia with 3.94% of our listeners. Thank you to the folks down under. Uh, with 3.07% of our listeners, we have our brothers and sisters to the north, Canada. Thank you for being back in our top five for many weeks in a row now, and we hope your numbers keep going up and up and up, too. In that number four spot, holding steady, dropping just a little tiny bit, but still in the top five after a long while, Norway, 2.48% of our listeners. Thank you, Norway. That means a lot to us as well. And then in that number five spot, they came in uh, just a few weeks ago out of nowhere, never seen them before, but Germany has been with us for a little while now with 1.30% of our listeners. Thank you to every single one of our listeners, both international and domestic. It really does mean a lot to us. Like, seriously, we, we, we love having you along for the ride, right, Jim? Oh, absolutely. And I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again. The U.K., thank you. For, for every week, you guys set a record. Uh, first, we hit 5%, and then you hit 5.3%. Now you're at almost 5.4%. I'd like to send you guys something. So, But you have to go to our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond, and shoot me a message. You say, Uncle Jim, I, I listen to the show, and I will send you something special in the mail for my Star Trek collection. I have a lot of great stuff, and I'd love to give it to you. But you have to message us on our Facebook page and say, hey, I listen from the U.K. I'm one of those almost 6% of the fans, and I'll send you something very special make it worth your while. So please head over to our Facebook page, Truck Talking and Beyond, shoot us a message, and I'll make it worth your while. It's kind of my way of saying thank you for listening. And now we're going to go to individual fan shout-outs from fans that left their information on our Facebook page. Eric, why don't you get us started? Absolutely. Our very first fan shout-out this, this week goes out to Colin Mitchell, who's saying hello to us from Fujaira in the United Arab Emirates. Colin, thank you so much for listening to us, and thanks for being a fan and saying uh, hello on our Facebook page. And here's a big shout-out to you. Also, we're saying hello, and thank you so much for listening to Elton Hakopa, who's contacted us from Invercargill in Southland, uh, New Zealand all the way down there uh, close to our Australian friends. So that is pretty cool. Thank you so much, Elton, for listening to us. We're saying hello and thank you so much for listening to us to Dana Burtis from Bucharest, Romania. Romania. Wow. I, that's one of those countries that I love to hear people listening from um, because it's just uh, it's kind of tucked away there in Europe and, you know, yeah, it just means a lot to us when people listen from all these different countries. So thank you so much, Dana. We're also saying hello to Paul Hunter from Salisbury, South Australia, one of those Australian listeners. Thank you, Paul. And hello and kapla to Lizzie Woods from Tulsa, Oklahoma, right here in the U.S. of A. Charles, who are you saying hello to this week? Oh, I'm going to start off with Zeb Hill in Clarksville, Tennessee. Carlson Litt. From Dortmund, Germany. 
of course, remember that episode uh, as the gangster episode. Uh, Bella Achminks was the uh, boss of the Northside Territory, uh, the guy who kind of had the, the thicker glasses and was an older gentleman with uh, slick back gray hair. Um, so I uh, did a great job with that role, uh, Anthony did, and uh, we miss him and, uh, you know, forever immortalized in a fantastic episode of Piece of the Action. So, Charles, uh, let's move on to the folks who are still with us that have birthdays this week. Okay, i got a short list. Let's start off with Alexander Enberg, who played high in Voyager's Blood Fever, and Sir Rick in TNG's episode Lower Deck. And we got Santa Acker, who played Odonna in TOS episodes of Mark and Gideon. Judy McConnell, who played Yelman Pancras in TOS episodes The Wolf Old. And then we fin- I finish off with Casey Biggs, who played Damar in TS9, who happens to be the ex-husband of Roxanne Dawson and a member of the Enterprise Blues Band. Jim, how about your list? Well, I'm going to finish off the birthdays. Luckily, we don't have a lot this week because we got so much Star Trek to talk about, but that's good. Uh, the first person we'd like to say happy birthday to is Tosaya Valenza, who played Tashank in the TNG episode Coming of Age. And she was also the voice of the Sinjao's computer in Star Trek Discovery, the first two episodes. So happy birthday to her. Uh, Philip Morris, who played Trainee Foster in Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. He's a dude that wanted a hero's welcome when they came back from the uh, Wrath of Khan movie, well, Incident in the Nebula. Happy birthday to Philip Morris. We'd also like to say happy birthday to Alexandria Linden, who played Jamal in the Enterprise episode of A&R. She was the white Andorian, um, if you guys remember. She controlled that telepathic... Um, ship that could switch into all kinds of different things. That was pretty cool. And of course, the biggest and best one, well, Casey Biggs is a pretty big one, but I um, but this no one, uh, Sophia Butella, who played Jayla in Star Trek Beyond, great character, loved her. Uh, hope we see more of her, maybe. Who knows? But that wraps up our Star Trek birthdays for this week, which means it's time for Star Trek news, and boy, do we have a lot. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level nine authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. And black alert it is. We're going to start off with, I think, uh, one of the biggest pe- – well, there's a lot of big news, but we're going to start off with this one first, uh, Star Trek Discovery. They dropped the teaser trailer on us for season four, and I'm going to play it for you guys. But before I play it for you guys, um, because there wasn't much news on the trailer, um, there was a, a little bit talked about in one of the panels, which I'm going to read for you guys here. And it's, it pertains to the uniforms. Discovery uniforms were changed in Season 4 for better contrast. 
One of the most noticeable changes spotted in the Star Trek Discovery Season 4 teaser trailer was the new 32nd Century Starfleet uniforms. They were very similar in design to Starfleet uniforms seen in Season 3, which were mainly gray with a stripe of color for each division. We saw the Discovery crew adopt these uniforms in the final moments of Season 3. In Season 4, the uniforms are the same style, but now the division color is prominent with a dark gray stripe. Costume designer Gersha Phillips revealed the issue that sparked a change. She said, designing a 32nd century is something. It's been a very interesting experience. We've captured something that feels more futuristic and a little sleeker. And luckier for us, the sets work really well with what we've done right, especially the Federation HQ set. The Discovery ship is a little more challenging because you end up finding out our uniforms match the walls. So that is a little bit more interesting of a journey. And she laughed. So that was pretty much all the Discovery news that we got. But we have this really cool trailer. So sit right back and enjoy the Star Trek Discovery Season 4 teaser trailer. We are not in this alone. None of us are. We're all living in uncertainty. Even for a crew as familiar with it as this one. Stress taking its toll. But we are not in this alone. None of us are. Five light years across. That's the size of the gravitational anomaly. Where is it headed next? It could go anywhere. We may not have any kind of warning at all. Federation? Non-Federation. This anomaly threatens us equally. Whatever it is, we'll figure it out together. Indeed, we are more than allies. Captain Burnham, make no mistake. You are in charge. She has faith in me. We are facing something we don't understand. Something that could tear us all apart. But there's only one way to confront the unknown. So, what do you guys think? What do you think, Eric? Well, uh, there's, you know, for a pretty short trailer with not a lot of information, there's definitely some mysteries being woven in here. I mean, uh, you know, in some of those scenes that we see, the Discovery looks pretty significantly beat up. Uh, the bridge is all destroyed. There's, you know, the classic uh, tubes and hoses hanging from the ceiling there. Um, so I think that we're going we're gonna to get some damage. We're going we're gonna to hit some kind of strange anomaly that they reference, uh, maybe an anomaly... Uh, sounds like appears out of nowhere that they're not able to predict, which um, which is a little different from something like the rift or the ribbon or whatever they called it from Generations, uh, the Nexus there, uh, which was a thing that kind of had a trajectory in space that they could track. This thing sounds like it kind of kind of shows up out of nowhere, which is pretty scary. Um, you know, the trailer was very very epic sounding. Uh, it had that nice music. It was very emotionally stirring uh, and the theme was obviously togetherness and uh, you know not being out there alone um, you know we saw our Kelpian friend 
from last season uh, in the trailer, uh, which I think is kind of cool. That means he's still along for the ride and is still going to be part of the plot. Um, uh, you know, Burnham says we're facing something we don't understand, so there's it's it's a real mystery and a and a new thing for the 32nd century. Uh, we see Book getting a Vulcan mind meld, which is kind of interesting. I'm I'm wondering what that's all about. So yeah. I'm on board. I mean, it's interesting the kind of tone I think that Discovery is taking right now. It's um, it's becoming more and more epic. You know, we kind of had this uh, crew that started with sort of uh, the 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 most epic story of the time, which was the Klingon War, and then they just kind of keep moving on to more and more epic things. Um, and so I know if I want a big, big story that explores like big, amazing sci-fi concepts, uh, Discovery is the show that I want to watch for that. Uh, so I'm excited. Yeah, I think it's going to be cool. I don't know if we want to talk about the uniforms at all or not. <laughs> yeah, but that's my well, opinion on the trailer. <laughs> I think it was great that okay, we saw Grudge again. You know, Seeing Grudge was cool because we know Grudge is still there. And Grudge has a new book coming out, too, that we talked about. Was it last week or the week before? So mm-hmm. I was happy to see Grudge. I, you know, yeah, that's anytime good. we see Grudge, I'm happy. <laughs> so we did get a, a brief glimpse of Grudge. Um, wow. You know, quick time flies. Um, the uniforms. You know, when I saw the trailer, I said to myself, they changed the uniforms, and the uniforms now seem to be along the lines of what the TOS uniform colors used to be um, a little bit, kind of, the blue, the red, and the gold. Um, But did you guys notice in the trailer that Tilly was wearing red? And they they went out of the – they went out of their way, if you guys recall when we talked about the end of the season last year, they went out of their way to change Tilly's uniform from red to blue. But then in this trailer, it's red again. So I don't know what's going on with the uniforms, why they keep changing them like that. But it leads me to think that maybe Tilly is the first officer now, and that's why she's wearing red. I, I don't know. But the scene where their mm-hmm. bridge is blowing up, Tilly is standing behind Burnham in a red uniform. So I did notice mm-hmm. that. I thought it was great that the Vulcans uh, showed up again from the VAR, and, well, Vulcans slash Romulans, and they said that they're, they're friends now. So obviously um, between these seasons, the Federation is starting to get back together again, which is really cool. Uh, I think Eric already pointed wow, we're running – Eric already pointed out that we see Saru on Kaminar and we see Sukal as, on Kaminar as well, which I thought was really, really awesome. Um, yeah, there's just a lot going on in that trailer. There's just there's a lot to break down and talk about, and it goes, you know, it's a minute and a half long, but it it just flies right by because you're like, wow, ooh, oh, the anomaly that they talk about, Stamet says it's five light years across, so it's a Pretty substantial size. Uh, we get to see Detmer, and she's got a kind of a new look to her prosthetic a little bit, which is pretty cool. Um, and we see Grudge. Yeah, so I, I enjoyed it immensely. I, I watched it like a half a dozen times. I had to rewind it and watch it again, and then go back and watch it again, and then go back and watch it again, like we all do with Star Trek fans. So, believe it or not, we're out of time for our first segment. So, 
We're going to cut to a quick commercial break and hear from my friend TJ over at Peak Outlet's Geekery. When we come back, though, we're going to hear what Charles thought about the Discovery um, Season 4 trailer. So run, don't walk to the bathroom, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after this very important message from TJ. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Freakopolis Geekery, the premier upstate New York comics and game shop. Centrally located between Saratoga Glens Falls, Ticonderoga, and Rutland, Vermont, the Geekery is a haven for pop culture and science fiction fans. For Star Trek fans, the Geekery features board games like Ascendancy, as well as awesome gaming titles like Star Trek Adventures RPG from Modiphius, Star Trek Away Team Zero Clicks, and of course, Star Trek Attack Wing Ship-to-Ship Tactical Combat for the Tabletop. The Geekery hosts casual play sessions, learn-to-play sessions, and sanctioned organized play tournaments with limited edition prize support. You'll also find comics and trade paperbacks at Freakopolis, including Star Trek titles from IDW. Lots of issues are in stock, and special orders are no problem. Whether you visit in person by shuttlecraft or beam in online to Freakopolis.com, you'll find yourself right at home at the Freakopolis Geekery. And we're back. We're talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 4 and the teaser trailer that was dropped on us on uh, First Contact Day. And, Charles, what, what did you think about the trailer? What did you notice about it that you'd like to mention to our fans? Well, Jim's going to take some of my thunder away. Definitely, I looked at the episode. And it's like immediately when the friends had caught my eye were uniforms. And I've heard quite a few fans respond. They did not like the season three ending uniform. Those were just too bland. Oh, they're in the red. They're in the blue. They're in the uniform somewhat reminiscent to me of the Enterprise Discovery uniform. But the real nice colors. But one of the colors you didn't mention was we don't have three colors. We have four. Medical is in white, where I, where I like them to be. I want to see those white uniforms. The Culver is in a nice white uniform, which you can tell in the part. You can tell the medical staff from the regular, regular staff. So... I was impressed to see the Vulcan on board ship and giving that handshake as they're involved with what's going on still. They're not abandoning what's going on. And just in general, it was... CBS has gotten very smart in teasing you just enough. It's like, okay, this will answer some of your questions. Okay, I got questions A and B answered. So now what about questions C, D, E, F, G, H, maybe I, maybe J? Okay, you got to see the first episode because you want to get some of the questions answered. They tease you enough that you were like, oh, yeah, you want to know what happened. And I just like how they're, what great job, CBS. Paramount and Viacom do with their teasers for Star Trek. It's great. And I'm going 
going to throw a little bit of an idea on this one. They said the release date they were predicting was late 2021. We're getting lower decks this summer. I wonder if we're going to get another lower decks discovery run again. Because they could time it just perfectly. It's like, oh, here's lower decks. We're done with lower decks. Oh, perfect timing. Okay, let's give you discovery. Let's go another. Let's go another. Uh, tw- let's go another twenty-three weeks of back-to-back, back-to-back Star Trek. They did it to us once. I wonder if they'll do it again. <laughs> it's very possible they will. You know, I think. What, yeah. I wonder what you guys think about the in terms of like the Star Trek aesthetic these days, you know, when they went into the 32nd century and they found um, Federation HQ, and even when they visited the Earth, I felt like it was this way. The the kind of color palette was that the background of all the sets was super, super white and bright, and everybody was wearing gray, which kind of worked against the white, you know, because there was enough color pop here and there um, to sort of you know, give enough contrast that you can see what was going on there. The discovery itself, you know, even in the new, um, the new 32nd century discovery, is still super dark. Like the bridge is really, really dark. It's got the blue lighting and stuff, but it almost looks like the lights are off on the bridge, which of course is what the costume designer was talking about, you know, why they had to change away from the gray because the people just sort of disappeared on the bridge. But I wonder why they chose to take such a different aesthetic with the inside of the Discovery from what they did with both Federation headquarters and Earth when they went to Earth, they, which both had a very kind of almost like J.J. Abrams sort of look to them. I think Discovery's always been just a little dark. Kind of give us a scene yeah, where okay, Discovery's yeah. going to be a little dark. The ship's always been a little dark. But... I kind of like how the ship's designed in that effect, though. Yeah, it's just interesting. I was wondering why they would choose to do different. Yeah, why they would choose to do different things. You know, the the you would think with like the thirty second century retrofit, you know, it might look it might look a little different on the bridge. And essentially, the bridge looks a little same. I mean, the tech the tech is different, but the lighting and everything is is very different. So, yeah, I really like well, that they... I wonder if we could get a chance to see what different ships look like. Maybe there's a difference <laughs> just because Discovery... Maybe that they have, that's how they offset Discovery to the rest of the ships and the fleet. Yeah, I'm imagining if we oh. get aboard the USS Nog, it might be white and shiny on the inside. I was going to say, I do like that they went back to the colors, though, the, the solid colors for uniform. I think that's... I think that looks really good and, um, you know, makes it much easier to tell in this dark lighting who's, who's in which division. I mean, telling that copper and that yeah. gold apart uh, was pretty difficult with the dark lighting. You know, personally, I think these things look pretty formal. Um, I mean, they, they kind of remind me a little bit more of the, uh, you know, neck flap version from the movies. Um, they, it almost looks like people are wearing little suit coats. And of course, uh, Burnham has the little yeah. buckles on her on her shoulders, so she almost looks military, I think. Um, which I well, think is an interesting point for the style. 
Pike Pike was more in a Pike was more in a jacket. Yeah, these look more like a formal coat to me. Pike still had the short jacket with kind of the uh, the preppy collar that sort of stuck up, and then it had that cool little fold on it that sort of made it look like a uh, almost more like a bomber jacket, but with a little air of formality to it. These look like suit coats, like they go down below the waist. They have padded shoulders. Um, you know, they have a very tight neckline. So it just kind of really formalizes the look. Like they don't look – if you're going to go on an away mission, I'm imagining that they're going to put these folks in different uniforms on away missions because these do not look like away mission uniforms, you know. I, I like I like the colors, though. Burnham looks real sharp in that red, and, and Detmer looks smashing in the gold. I'm, I really like them. As far as the release yeah, date, the I think what we're going to see, in, in my theory, I think we're going to see exactly what Charles was talking about, exactly what we saw last year. I think we're going to see discover. Are we going to see um, lower decks? It's going to lead right into discovery, which is going to lead right into prodigy, which is going to lead right into Picard into next into early next year. I think we're going to end up with a whole uh, bunch of Star Trek all in a row, um, based on I I, the tentative relief state. So we'll idea, see. Jim, but, that I think we're going to see Pod- I think we're going to see prodigy before lower deck. Because I think Prodigy's got a 21 release date, and Picard's got a 22. And we could see Prodigy first, yeah. We might. Uh, but, hey, guys, we have a caller on the line. Let's see who this is. <laughs> this number looks familiar. Let's see who it is, if I can get the thing to work. Hello, thank you for calling Trek Talk, and what's your name, and where are you calling us from tonight? Hi, my name is David Whalen. I'm calling from Portland, Oregon. Hey, hey David. David, it's been ages. What's hey, going David. on, buddy? I feel old. You feel old? <laughs> Join the club. Yeah, it's been a while since I called. <laughs> what's, what's going on? Um, not Anything much. I, uh, was, I got done watching a lot of the Star Trek uh First contact uh, videos that they posted on a couple of days ago, and uh, and then I was like, oh, I wonder if, if you guys are going to be talking about it. And it, I don't know. So, yeah. <laughs> and and here we yes, are. Yes, we are. <laughs> and yeah. uh, speaking of that, Eric, you've got our next uh, tidbit of information, which I gave you, you we intentionally. Yes, we were just kind of starting to head down this road a little bit with our discussion, so the timing couldn't be better. Um, My article is Star Trek Prodigy. First look reveals a whole new Janeway and more show details. Although it was announced last year that Kate Mulgrew would be reprising her role as Catherine Janeway in Star Trek Prodigy, it was a bit of a mystery as to how the character would fit into a show set on a derelict Starfleet ship commandeered by a group of alien teens. Mulgrew will appear as the built-in emergency training hologram on the ship. Developed by Emmy Emmy winners Kevin and Dan Higginan, the CG animated series Star Trek Prodigy is being promoted as the first Star Trek series developed specifically for younger audiences. The Higginans also revealed that the series takes place in the year 2383 after the events of Star Trek Voyager and Star Trek Nemesis, and it is set in the Delta Quadrant. Prodigy will follow a motley crew of young aliens who must figure out how to work together while navigating a greater galaxy in search of a better, better future. 
These six young outcasts know nothing about the ship they've commandeered, a first in the history of the Star Trek franchise. But over the course of their adventures together, they will each be introduced to Starfleet and the ideals that it represents. Uh, and regarding the alien crew, first revealed back in February, Kevin Hageman offered up another clue. He said, not all of them are canon species, but we can hint that one of them has a tie-in to the original series. Dan and Kevin offered some more detail on how this crew discovers the hologram Janeway. Dan says, this crew has never heard of Starfleet. They discover something on the ship that will not only guide them as they navigate the greater galaxy, but it will also be a representative to the shared values that the Federation holds dear. Kevin said, at this, and this something isn't a captain per se, or even an admiral, but Janeway, the ship's built-in emergency training hologram designed to assist maybe a wayward crew that may have strayed too far off course. There was no news on a release date for Prodigy except confirming previously reporting reports that it will premiere on Paramount Plus later this year. So that was pretty exciting. Uh, you know, we got the look of Janeway revealed, uh, and it is the look from her first two seasons of Voyager with the hair up. Um, she's looking, she looks really good. It was kind of interesting in the panel, uh, that Kate Mulgrew participated in that talked about the show. Uh, she was talking about how the, I guess the first version of Janeway that came out, she felt like she was too beautiful, too lovely. And they had to do some modifications to the character's chin <laughs> in order to dial it into the look that Mulgrew really was hoping for, for the character. So I thought that was, that was kind of funny and very interesting and I'm just happy myself to know how they how they figure this out. I mean, you know, I have so many questions. I mean, you know, there's another uh, Federation ship in the Delta Quadrant. How did it get there? Where did it come from? Uh, how is Janeway the emergency training hologram? So pr presumably maybe it was a training ship or something that gets lost. So many questions. Uh, but it was really fun to hear her talk about her character, uh, hear the other guys, Dan and Kevin, talk about the show. Uh, you know, designed for younger viewers, but man, I'm super excited about this show. Absolutely, absolutely, without a doubt. Um, and again, uh, it, it's going to premiere later this year. So later meaning what? We were just talking about that a minute ago. Um, does that mean before Lower Decks or after Lower Decks? We don't know. But speaking of Lower Decks. Dun, 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 dun. We have a trailer, and here it is. What up? We doing sci-fi stuff today? <laughs> Only thing missing is Boimler. He's got to be having the time of his life. Yeah! I'm starting to think this jam session's got too many licks and not enough comps. What does that even mean? <laughs> All right, Charles, we heard the trailer. <laughs> now take it over, buddy. All right. Star Trek Lower Deck Season 2 arrives August. Watch the game do classic sci-fi stuff in new teaser. Lower Deck Season 2 will arrive August 12th. It'll be a Thursday, roughly a year after debut series of 2020. The premiere date was revealed, revealed in the all-new teaser trailer for Season 2. 
confirms return of Jonathan Frakes to Captain Riker for the USS Titan in season two. Traditional Star Trek shows are known for keeping very strict, very strictly to the script during production. However, during the panel on humor in Star Trek, Lord Dead's creator and showrunner Mike Mahanan revealed a different approach. We highly encourage improvisation. There's some stuff nobody wants to improvise on what is technical jargon that makes it feel like Star Trek. At the same time, we usually get a couple of takes as written. Then we get even more improvised takes than the script I think the first person we can cast was Connie Newsom. She was an amazing improviser. We instantly knew that this show is a show where we're going to adjust the show to fit their performance. You're going to let the heart of the characters be coming uh, from what what's getting the actors excited. Mike Mahan also discussed how we develop the second season differently. First season was very much like we have to prove that we belong here and that that love thing that you love and we are making fun of Star Trek. We love it. Once people get used to that, the second season, the balance was how much we show with Rick, reflective on the past, Star Trek, and how much will be new Star Trek. When you find that balance, I say the word balance more than anything else these days. The official announcement also revealed that Paramount Plus of its renewed lower decks for a third season. Season three will be ten episodes long like season one and presumably season two. Perfect lower decks seems seems exclusively on Paramount Plus in the US and is also available on Amazon in Australia, New Zealand, Europe, Japan, India and more countries around the world. Wow. Boy, they did that. They did, they did that panel. And it was a good panel. Then they sit there and, okay, let's, let's cut over to Mike for a moment. Oh, you've got some news for us, don't you? Oh, yes, I do. And he's like, okay, here's a teaser for the new season. And they run it. And we're like, wow. You see, oh, Tawny's back at it again. He's sitting there. You've got to see the scene where it's like, oh, yep, she's in the brig again. And, of course, Jonathan breaks. It's like, yep, we got to get more jazz references in there. So I saw it for the first time. And then I stopped, Then I went back. It's like somewhere I was pitching where I got to see it a second time. It's like, and I turn around and look, it's like, wait a minute, there's a date on that show. And lo and behold, I look on it, and there it says, coming August 12th. And I just got excited, it's like, oh, we're going to get it, we're going to get Lower Decks again this summer. And that just seems uh, Lower Decks. And we're still in the fact we're going to have two different ships. And it's definitely a fact that Boimler's doing navigate, probably navigation 
but definitely to see how he's going to go his direction. And yet, still stick with the, the trio. And it'll be interesting how they tie those four together. But I can't wait for August to get here and to be able to see more lower deck. That I, I didn't see. Uh, and I. I didn't see Deanna mm-hmm. Troy there, though. She was missing. Riker was there, but I didn't see Deanna Troy. So I wonder if Marina Sirtis is going to be the, in on it. the bridge during the battle scene. Could be. Could be. What did you think, David? Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, I actually liked it. I'm, I'm actually surprised they were about to get out another season this soon. I thought it was going to take another year or so, but I was like, whoa, August, nice. So I'm really looking. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of Star Trek. In, in a short amount of time, which is good, I think. What about you, Eric? Mm-hmm. Did you get a chance to check it out? Oh, yeah. Uh, I saw the trailer. I was super excited about it. There's a lot going on uh, in there, lots of lots of shenanigans. I like the Ensign Pip on Boimler there, and we get a little, a little battle scene uh, aboard the Titan. I love the, you know, Riker's cracking music jokes during the battle, which I think is... <laughs> is absolutely hilarious. Um, and then, yeah, I really enjoyed the, um, the panel, the comedy panel that, and I'm, I'm talking about that now because it sort of plugs into this because Mike McMahon was on the panel. Um, that was a really fun panel to watch too. It had, uh, Mike McMahon and Jonathan Frakes, um, Paul F. Tompkins was there. Uh, he is a guy, if you, if you all know, or listen to the official Star Trek podcast, he does the podcast with Tony Newsom. Uh, and uh, he also played that that bird doctor thing from the first uh, season of Lower Decks, um, and it was it, they were talking about uh, in that panel. You know, they talked a little bit about Lower Decks, but they talked a lot about comedy on TNG and comedy in Star Trek in general. And I encourage anybody who wants to learn more or listen to stuff about that to go listen to this panel. It was fascinating to listen to. I think all of them kind of agree that all series up until Lower Decks in the Star Trek realm have overall been, you know, pretty serious. And granted, they sprinkle comedy throughout them, particularly in the movies, uh, and little jokes here and there. But uh, what they were talking about was how people on the set would be such jokesters when they were off camera because they felt like while they were doing TNG, things were very serious while they were on camera. Directors in particular were you know, very precise about them, making sure that they said lines perfectly and things were blocked perfectly and that sort of stuff. So that was really fun to learn that. I mean, we always kind of knew or have heard that Brett Spiner and and Frakes and Stewart and all those guys were jokesters uh, on the set. It sounds like some of it came out of the fact that they needed to, you know, blow off a little steam from having to be so serious while they were shooting. So Super cool panel. Go listen to that. The trailer was awesome. I was very excited about it. I cannot wait to see what the adventures of the Titan look like. And, uh, you know, Tendi had kind of a funny line there, too. So Tendi Boimler, or excuse me, uh, Tendi Rutherford, I can't wait to see what those two are up to uh, going forward, too. It's going to be great. Well, guess what, guys? That's not all, because we also heard and saw, I think, the biggest news of the whole thing, and that was the Picard is back. Yes, he 
He's back, and here's the trailer. The true final frontier is time. Time can turn even our most impulsive, our most ill-considered actions into history. What we do in a crisis often weighs upon us less heavily than what we wish we had done. What could have been. Time offers so many opportunities, but never second chances. Casting announced for Star Trek Picard Season 2. Q is back and Spiner 2 in 2022. Sounds like a campaign slogan, doesn't it? Um, if the teaser trailer wasn't enough of a clue, actor John Delancey was a surprise guest during the virtual event, announcing he is reprising his role with Q in Season 2. Also revealed that Brent Spiner is returning, presumably reprising his role of Dr. Alton Ingo Soon. Also returning is Jerry Ryan as Seven of Nine, Michelle Hurd as Rafi, Santiago Cabrera as Rios, Iso Briannis as Soji, Allison Pill as Dr. Girardi, and even Evgoria as Elnor. The official announcement also revealed Orla Brady will return as Laris, but there was no mention that Jamie McShane will also be back as Saban Laris, her fellow former Romulan Tal Shiar operative who joined Picard as his vineyard. Also not mentioned in the abyssal press release is Whoopi Goldberg, even though the actress has spoken out about reprising her role of Guinan on Picard. Sir Patrick Stewart talking to host Will Wheaton about the upcoming second season of Star Trek Picard. The actor tried to avoid spoilers, but in doing so said something intriguing that could indicate time travel would be part of the new season. He said in that Patrick Stewart-ish way. I wish I could sit here and blurt out all the new storylines and situations and times that you're going to be seeing in the second season. Despite 178 episodes of The Next Generation and four feature films, there are events coming up in season two that have never been seen before, and I am excited just as though putting them on camera. It's very, very, very satisfying Q's arrival is as it often was, utterly unexpected, but also comes at a shattering moment in the episode. And I do mean a shattering moment. Whether it's connected to Q or not, I'm not actually quite sure. But there is significant drama. And in the fact of the moment, I am working on working on how the drama of this moment hangs around Picard for quite a substantial part of the episode. And then, there he is. The subject of Picard's past assimilation by the Borg also came up. Will Wheaton asked Stuart about revisiting that trauma on Picard, prompting an exchange between Stuart and Jonathan Frakes, indicating an upcoming episode potentially directed by Frakes will pick up this storyline. 
Stuart said, there is a lot of reference of Picard as a Borg character in Picard, and there is enough evidence in that to show he is still profoundly disturbed by that experience. So, to Frakes, Johnny, we might find some way that we could introduce these elements again into Picard. To which Frakes said, that is exactly what we're spinning in my head as you were suggesting it. Because one of the great successes of the first season of Picard, one of the great moments, was that moment you shared with Jerry with 7 of 9. Oh, see, now my dog is acting up. See, this is live radio, guys. This is what you get. Uh, 7 of 9 in Stardust City Rag, directed by Freaks, about your shared experience with the Borg. Shh, come here. It was brief, but it was also powerful and loaded for both of you. Emma, come over here. Star Trek Picard streams exclusively on Paramount Plus in the U.S. and Canada. Picard is broadcast on CTTV, Sci-Fi Channel, and streams on Crave. It is also available on Amazon Prime in more than 200 countries and territories around the world. I have to take my dog out of the room because she's barking for some unknown reason. Uh, We have to take (laughs) another commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to hear what my truck spurts thought about the Star Trek Picard Season 2 teaser trailer. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after this very quick message from Subcommander Charles. Hi, this is Subcommander Charles from Trek Talking, here to invite you to join us for the best science fiction themed podcast on the internet. Our elite team of Trek experts are here to discuss Star Trek and related science fiction content. And we want to hear from you. Dial 646-668-2433 Thursday nights from 4.30 to 7.30 p.m. Pacific Coast Time. And we'll get you on the air to share your opinion. Or you can also find us on Facebook. We have faith that you will call. And we're back. So, Charles, what did you think about the Picard trailer? And in particular, the Cue of Hearts card. Okay, we get the Picard trailer, and this was this is a this is a jumping off point for first contact day. The first the first thing we're going to see is Picard, we're going to see is Patrick Stewart discussing the future of Picard, and they show okay, we got a teaser for it. Okay, let's go watch the teaser. Beautiful shot. We get the stargazer in there. We get a picture of the Enterprise D on there. It's just some great shots. And then they lean in, and all of a sudden we see a deck of cards. It's like the deck of cards from the first episode. They're back. And it all devolves to the corner. And the corner is like you, the queen. But the queen is you. And we're like, oh, no, we're getting the landscape. We're going to get you back. And we're, we're kind of sitting on the edge of our, oh, we got to get more news. And they go back to panel. And Will starts trying to talk to Patrick a little bit. And all of a sudden, like, oh, somebody's trying to break into our meeting. It's like, oh, we've got to find out who this person is. Something in here is. And who pops in the screen but John Delancey? 
ah, here's you. It's like, ah, oh, okay, there's the positive news we needed. You is back. And I love one of the big questions that people want to know who missed the panel. It's like, okay, are they going to digitize them? And John says, nope. Yeah. The Picard's age, yeah, well, he needs to age, too. He needs to kind of be competitive with, with Picard, so he needs, he needs to look a little old, too. And I thought, oh, this is just going to be a great... And when they said in the middle of filming, they're still not sure how Hugh's involved with the overall situation. So I like the fact that still, they still... While filming it, there's a lot of unknowns. And I think those unknowns just are going to make it even better. <coughs> Absolutely. So, so with a 2022 release, can't wait for the card. Uh, man, this trailer, uh, there was a lot of stuff in this trailer, uh, a lot to unpack and a lot that I'm pretty excited about. Um, so, yeah, they – so it starts out the true final frontier is time. Uh, so that's where they get the idea that there's maybe time travel involved. I think that's kind of interesting given that um, – I don't know. This is a concept that that Picard has been playing with a lot because of the whole android, uh, you know, end of life concept from last season. Time is is kind of a recurring theme, I guess, over and over again. And of course, in this trailer, we see a clock uh, also as part of the the sort of um, visuals as we're zooming through the office. But Charles mentioned uh, one thing that was on that desk. And I want to mention another, and I think that maybe there's a connection. I wonder if this is perhaps where a story uh, might go. Um, you know, Picard in this trailer is talking a lot about how, uh, you know, no matter how hard you try, uh, and even if you try and make your best decisions all along the way, you're always going to be questioning yourself as to whether you did the right thing. And, and it sounds like we're getting uh, a Picard who's still kind of dealing a little bit with some of the things that he regrets in his life. And perhaps uh, maybe the story might take us back to the stargazer. Um, you know, we've gotten Picard. We've got a pretty good Romulan story going already in Picard. We've got a pretty good Borg story going and if you think about the big things that have happened in Picard's life and, and the things that we've kind of touched on in TNG but haven't really maybe fully explored, I think about the Stargazer and I think about the death of Jack Crusher. And granted, we do have a couple of TNG episodes uh, where we get a little bit of Jack Crusher. Uh, I don't remember. I think one of them is called Relics or something like that, if I remember but they, uh, you know, there's there's one episode where a young Jack Crusher is brought back on a holodeck, and, and there's a little bit in there. But I wonder if Q and the Stargazer and Picard's past will all kind of intersect uh, on this show. So that that's pretty interesting to me. We also haven't mentioned the fact that the, the sand, uh, the hourglass that's on the desk shows the sand running backwards. It shows it running, you know, up uh, as if time is moving backwards. So another another kind of interesting clue slash neat visual to look at. 
And then, you know, we zoom into what Jim was just talking about, the, the Queen of Hearts card, which is interesting because you remember our Picard season one trailer and the very first thing that we see in the very first episode is, of course, uh, some queens. And, uh, you know, at that time we we talked a lot about board queens and how they might be involved in the series uh, story. And sure enough, we got a little bit of involvement with uh, Seven of Nine becoming a queen herself. Um, you know, now we now we are using the same visual to represent Q. Uh, so I I think that's kind of cool because it 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 adds a layer of complexity. You know, if you think about it, there's like these through lines that they're setting that have to do even in the trailers with like the deck of cards. But the deck of cards is now probably representing multiple things already. So very very cool storytelling. Um, you know, Picard says what we do in a crisis often weighs less heavily than what we could have been. So I think we're going to get more of the same kind of uh, Picard being retrospective, going back in time, thinking about the things that have, that have happened, whether he's made the right decisions. And then maybe, you know, on the back of time travel shenanigans, <laughs> we'll have to see. <laughs> I, we, it's going to be great. Anyways, we've been waiting a long time for Picard with all this COVID stuff and, it's going to be great either way. I'm I'm really psyched. I'm really pumped. We got a lot of great Star Trek um, to look forward to, and we're going to be pretty busy on this show, breaking it all down for you guys. So it's going to be a yeah. lot of fun. Lot yeah. What do you think, David? Huh? What do you think of this one? Oh, um, yeah. I I actually thought it was pretty interesting that Guinan is going to make an appearance, and I'm curious to find out now if Guinan and the Q are actually going to have a confrontation with each other because apparently Q is afraid of Guinan and I'm like mm-hmm. yeah, that, yeah. that story could finally get revealed of what she really is and all that kind of cool stuff but yeah I'm, I'm actually really excited for it but I was a little sad that she's going to take place in 2022 <laughs> Why can't it be now? Yeah, <laughs> a lot of right now. Yeah, so, so. It's, it's 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 interesting, but um, yeah, I I definitely think that um, Guinan is definitely gonna. I, I have a feeling that this whole thing is gonna finally come about with the whole Q and Guinan race. So it's gotta be interesting to find out what they got going on. It's going to be good, that's for sure. John Delancey's awesome. He hasn't been in a bad episode yet. Even when he appeared on Lower Decks, it was it was good. So, it's, yeah, it's I'm true. You know what it. I I I do hope we get a particular type of cue though. I because I feel like we've gotten a couple of different cues in TNG. We got the we got the cue from Encounter at Farpoint, who I feel like is the cue that I like. He's the one who is arrogant. You know, feels like he needs to judge people zaps in because he has interest in humanity, but there might also be some other reasons that things are going on. I don't really want Q the trickster, you know? I don't really want Q who's just there to annoy Picard or that type of thing. I want there to be some great reason he's there because he's such he's such an important character, and they did bring him back several times, but granted, in some of those episodes, they are good, but he's goofy, right? He's a goofy Q in some of them. I would just prefer that kind of uh, omnipotent judging, you know, big thinking, big picture. 
queue. So we'll see which one we get. It was really fun well, to see Delancey and Patrick Stewart on the panel, though, or in that interview talking with each other. They're just so fun to watch together. Now, <laughs> next week, we're going to be talking about um, all good things. But if you remember, Hugh says the trial never ends. And that's when we see him. The last time Picard sees Q was in that episode, All Good Things, when humanity was still on trial. We had the time travel thing with Tasha Yar. We had the future. We had, the, we had all that time mashing going on and all good things. So makes me wonder with all the captains that are supposed to be making an appearance somewhere, I wonder if that's going to be added on to the Picard show because, you know, they have heard that Captain Archer is supposed to be reappearing, so maybe he's going to go through time travel of all the series. Yeah, I heard that too. I heard about Archer uh, possibly reprising his role. Um, we'll have to wait and see. But it's going to be interesting. I mean, yeah, they, that's... they have to be careful with the story because, you know, time travel is not a story, right? It's it's what it's like time travel is the way that they tell whatever story they're trying to tell. And I, it, I we know it's going to be deeply personal to Picard because that's what season one was. And, you know, the show is called Star Trek Picard. So it really does focus on his character and what his character is going through and how all the support cast around him. I thought it was interesting that they didn't really bring discussion of any of the other characters uh, into this too much. I mean, they sort of confirmed, you know, who might who might still be on the show, who might not still be on the show. Um, there were a couple of surprises in there of people I didn't, I thought I didn't expect to see again, uh, like Laris. Uh, honestly, I thought I thought they were out and about, and I thought Laris was, you know, not going to be there anymore. Or, <laughs> but but it it it's going to be a personal story that I am absolutely very interested in. I love how each one of these Star Trek shows has a different flavor. You know, Discovery has become the epic show. Picard is the retrospective show. Um, uh, you know, Strange New Worlds is going to be the optimistic kind of Star Trek-y Star Trek show. Lower Decks is the comedy. You know, you get the kids show. It's They're covering every demographic. It's great. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. So, what better thing to talk about on First Contact Day with all this great Star Trek of the future than Star Trek of the past? So we're going to talk a little bit about the cage. And usually I play a stock clip for you guys, but unfortunately I'm a little – I got my COVID. I'm, I'm really out of sorts, and I didn't download the trailers. I apologize. So we're going to have to skip that. So um, – the Cage is the first pilot episode of the television series for Star Trek. It was completed on January 22, 1965. The episode was written by Gene Roddenberry and directed by Robert Butler. It was rejected by NBC in February of 1965. Much of the original footage from The Cage was later incorporated into season one two-part episode, The Menagerie, which aired in 1966. NBC called the pilot too cerebral, too intellectual, and too slow, with not enough action. Rather than rejecting the series outright, though, the network commissioned a second pilot where no man has gone before. This was accepted as Star Trek began its production. The Cage has many of the features of eventual series, but there are numerous differences. The captain of the Starship Enterprise is not James T. Kirk, but Christopher Pike. 
Spock is present, but not his first officer. That role is taken by a character known only as number one, played by Major Barrett. Spock's character differs somewhat from seen in the rest of Star Trek. He displays a youthful eagerness that contrasts with the later more reserved and logical Spock. He also delivers the first line in all of Star Trek. Check the circuit, followed by can't be the screen then. That was an interesting piece of trivia that I never knew. The Cage was released on VHS in 1986 with a special introduction by Roddenberry and was aired for the first time in its entirety and in full color in November of 1988 as part of the Star Trek saga from one generation to the next, a two-hour retrospective special hosted by Patrick Stewart. It contained interviews with Gene Roddenberry, Marcy Hurley, Rick Berman, Mel Harris, cast members from TNG, and clips from both series and the Star Trek films one through four, with a small preview of Star Trek V. It was later rebroadcast on UPN in 1996 with a behind-the-scenes look at Star Trek First Contact. The Telosians were portrayed by women with telepathic voices recorded by male actors. That was done to give the impression that the Telosians had focused their efforts on mental development to their detriment of their physical strength and size, and also to give that much more of an alien feel to the Telosians. Uh, We talked uh, to uh, Sandy Gimple, who played one of those Telosians on one of our shows, and you guys can find that um, on our page. Check it out. It was a fun interview, and she was great. In 2010, Sci-Fi Now ranked as the third best episode of the original series, in 2016, Sci-Fi ranked The Cage as the fifth best out of six Star Trek TV show pilots with Star Trek Deep Space Nine, The Emissary, coming in first place. In 2017, Inverse recommended The Cage as essential watching for Star Trek Discovery. They note that despite being the first episode of Star Trek to be made, it was not broadcast on television in its entirety until 1980. Now, originally, I had rec- I was planning on playing the clip from Discovery where they redid that intro with Pike and it fades into Anson Mount, but I'm sorry, guys, I forgot. So I'm getting old and I'm tired. Eric, what did our fans think about this episode on our Facebook page? Uh, well, they overall gave it a pretty good score here. So top fan Deb Williams gave it a 10. Uh, Timothy J. Bopp said 10, but give Spock a better pair of boots that fit. The original series should have kept number one as a woman. Very groundbreaking. Uh, Thomas Ziert said 10. It was phenomenal for that time. Neil Pandya said 10. It was perfect. Top fan Peter Manning said 9.6. Definitely. I have a copy, and it's awesome. And top fan Clank Tapao gave it a 8.5. So you average those scores out. And uh, our fans are looking at about a 9.6 for the cage. That's a pretty good score. So what did you think, Eric? Do you agree with our fans? Yeah, I think that the cage is a very good episode. And I think that the cage only got better uh, with Discovery Season 2. You know, it's kind of interesting how it is kind of a standalone episode of the original series because it has a different captain, Uh, As they were saying here, Spock is very different uh, from the Spock that we eventually get. Uh, And, of course, we've got Major Roddenberry as number one, so the crew is different. 
So you you could very easily you know watch all of Star Trek TOS and not watch the cage and be very satisfied. But the thing is, is that with the advent of Discovery and bringing the character of Captain Pike, Captain Christopher Pike, back, they did a masterful job of tying the cage back to Discovery and the events of Season 2. And to me, that's when Star Trek gets really, really good and interesting. When they go back and they fill in the holes that kind of bring things that were maybe on the periphery of canon or things that people were kind of uncertain about, and it it just pulls it right into the Star Trek family. So um, I really like Cage. I I love, uh, in particular, number one, uh, I love how she, uh, you know, conducts herself on the away mission. She's sort of like telling people what to do, and she's very practical, and um, you can tell she's super smart uh, that she's gotten into this position of command uh, just through her own mental efforts. And I'll say that I'll even extend this metaphor out a little bit to the books. I feel like uh, with some of the books that we've read that have had number one as a character or some of these other Discovery era, you know, uh, Strange New World era characters, I just keep falling more and more in love with them. And stories like The Cage become even more interesting to me after I reread the books because I, I'll read a book and then I'll go, oh, oh, well, maybe that's, uh, you know, has a connection to The Cage. I'll go back and watch The Cage again and, and something else will happen. So... Yeah, I love it. It's it, it's it's a good episode. Uh, it's not the one that I would say if you're going to watch one episode of the original series, don't make it the cage. I don't think it's the one to watch, but it's a very good episode for sure. You know, and I, I really, I was fascinated when we talked with Sandy Gimple on the show yeah. about being a yeah, Trojan. that was awesome. Yeah, uh, you know, and all that was great. And I had to go back and watch it, and um, I had to have my daughter watch it because she had never seen that one. And when we got to see that intro at the beginning of season two where Venus shows up and, and Anson Mount, who I think is awesome, by the way, has a flashback. You guys remember that's the clip I was going to play tonight mm-hmm. to download. When he has the flashback to the cage, and it's, and it's actually Jeffrey Hunter as Pike, and they go and they go through that whole thing, and then it fades into him standing on the bridge of the discovery as Anson Mount. I thought that was brilliant. Absolutely huh. just brilliant. And, and it put to rest all the fans that were saying it's an alternate universe. It's not real. It's something else. It's the Kelvin. No, right. it's not because here it is done, finished, put it to bed. <laughs> so I yeah. really liked yeah. the way they did that. And I liked, I liked <laughs> the Vina character as well. Um, and, and, one of the things that attracted me to this episode was that when I first got into Star Trek, I didn't realize that Star Trek itself had a history. And when I found out that, when I saw the Menagerie for the first time and found out, wait, 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 there was another captain of the Enterprise. There's more here than just meets the eye. And I had to go back and find out about Pike and about, you know, that whole situation. And, I, and I, to find out that Star Trek itself has a history within its own show, I thought was a great spin on it. And I, I love the cage. Um, I love Pike. And I'm looking so forward to seeing strange new worlds. And I think what well, one of our fans said about number one is absolutely correct. I had a story that we were going to talk about tonight about number one, but we bumped it to next week because it would have fit perfect with this particular segment. But uh, we'll talk about that next week instead. 
So yeah, I'm I'm right there with the fans. I I thought this episode was really really good. I enjoyed it. And um, the Telosians, <laughs> even the pulsing brains. I remember seeing it for the yeah. first time when those the pulsing brain thing just freaked me out. I was like, wow, their brains are pulsing. That's so cool. It's just well, <laughs> I, I just, funny you should mention that. It's funny you should mention that because the first time I ever saw the cage gym, I felt like. Gosh, haven't I seen this episode before? Because I think I didn't see it until, you know, after it had been on television. And then that's when I made that connection between the menagerie, where I, where I had seen those Telosians with the pulsing brains, and the cage. Because the cage just came out so much later, right? It wasn't even a thing until 88, the, the late 80s is when it came out. But so many of, of us had already seen 50% or more of the footage by watching the menagerie. So I love that they were able to re kind of use that and actually put that together as an episode and make it part of Canon in and of itself. I, I actually went out, I was so excited. Okay. I'm going to date myself a little bit. I actually had a laser disc player. And when the cage came out on the laser disc, I said to my girlfriend, my current, my wife, we got to go out and get this. And I ran out to the laser disc store, bought the cage. All my friends came over we had some pizza, and we watched the laser disc of the cage with the introduction by Gene Roddenberry. It was the greatest moment ever uh, to see the cage fully <laughs> restored in color with an introduction by Gene Roddenberry. And it was just, and that was in the late 80s. That uh, Next Generation was on TV already at that time. So that's how okay. long it took to see the cage in its entirety. So, um, yeah. But listen, guys, we are not done because. We still have to talk about where no man has gone before, and we still have to see what, Eric, what uh, Charles and David thought about the cage. So don't touch that dial. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this very quick yet very important message. Don't touch that dial. Trek Talking. All things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're back. We're talking about the cage, and we're just here. We're just about to see what Charles thought about it. What did you think about the cage, Charles? Well, it was definitely interesting to see. It's been a little while since I've seen the episode. One of the things that definitely got changed between the this point this, this starter and the one we'll talk about next. There's one scene that the captain is walking about the ship, and you see you see a crew member off in shorts and a t-shirt, very 60s style. And I thought that very interesting. That okay, when they relax, they were changing clothes and then going off to the rest area whereas we got the, we got the, the main Star Trek and we didn't have that 
most people walked around in their regular uniforms throughout the game, in the comfortable clothes, unless they were on short leave and often even then they didn't change. So I thought that was an interesting swap between them. Also remember that it's, also remember that the menagerie was the only two-part episode in the TOS series. That's the only episode that actually got split up in two parts because of how long the cage was and tying it into the TOS into 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 Kirk. Ah, lost my train of thought there. Definitely an interesting perspective. Uniforms, uniforms slightly changed, but there was definitely a slow change to how the uniforms were. I thought it interesting that they had away uniforms. They had their ship uniforms, and they put on away mission uniforms. Whereas they didn't put as much... They put on special special life suits if they were doing special uniforms. Otherwise, Kirk would usually still go on... Everybody would still go down their regular uniform. And definitely we saw... It's interesting for a couple of years seeing the changes we saw in the communicator and the phaser. The phaser went from a ray gun to more of a small handheld they had. So definitely some interesting correspondence. We also get the from the menagerie of the pike in the wheelchair, which we then reference in Discovery Season 2 also. So I like what they did. It was an interesting, interesting to get a chance to rewatch it to the two pilots. But good episode. I think I'm with more than one fan of the 8.5. It's a good episode, but not a great episode. And uh, what about you, David? What did you think about the cage? Did you like it? Yeah. I just wish they had more tribbles, though. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely, I thought the cage and the Discovery episode uh, that they kind of, like, um, intertwined together was uh, it was pretty well done. I, I definitely liked the Discovery episode of the, um, of, of the uh his flashback of him getting into that chair, like, hey, this is what his future is going to be if you go ahead and touch these uh, time crystals or something, whatever they were called. But, yeah, I, I definitely like the uh, – I like how they take the old films and for the new audience, they just kind of, like, blend them together, kind of like the episode in Deep Space Nine, Trouble with Troubles. <laughs> and, you know, Benjamin Sisko and his crew was going through, and they just took the old film – and they just cut them in there, and it was just like they were now part of the crew. It was just like it was well done, and it was really good that um, for the Discoveries episode was pretty interesting how since they already had a background of what happened to Christopher Pike, that he was now going to see himself like this. But it was just it was interesting. I like I like the – the, the I, I thought it was really great. I definitely give it like a ten out of ten. Probably one of the best episodes out of that season. So 
You're pretty well done. Wow, excellent, excellent. So the next episode that we want to talk about is called Where No Man Has Gone Before. Uh, Where No Man Has Gone Gone Before is the third episode of the first season of Star Trek, written by Samuel A. Peoples and directed by James Goldstein. It first aired on September 22nd, 1966. The episode was the second pilot produced in 1965 after the first pilot, The Cage, was rejected by NBC. Lucille Ball, who owned Desilu Studios, where the pilot was produced, persuaded NBC management to consider a second pilot, thereby exercising a special option agreement it had with Desilu. Because she liked Gene Roddenberry and believed in the project, the episode was eventually broadcast third in the sequence, which is something we talked about. Like The man trap is actually the pilot episode, but where no man has gone before is actually the first episode that was filmed. So, uh, you know, take that however you want. Uh, where no man has gone before was the first produced episode of Star Trek to feature William Shatner as Captain James T. Kirk, James Doohan as Chief Engineer Montgomery Scott, and George Takai as Lieutenant Sulu. In 2013, Wired Magazine ranked those one of the top ten episodes of the original television series. They note famous lines such as Kirk's plea for compassion and the absence of series regulars, Dr. McCoy, Ohura, and Chekhov. In 2016, IGN ranked Where No Man Has Gone Before, number six of the top ten episodes of the original series. And in 2018, Prop Masters ranked this the fourth best episode of the original series. Charles, what did our fans on our Facebook page think about Where No Man Has Gone Before? Okay. Well, we're going to start off with top fan Ross Van Loan. Kurg. Kurg's fabulous ear music as Enterprise nears the galaxy barrier helps to make this one of my favorite Trek episodes. Also, the marvelous final downbeat confrontation memorable. Above all else, a good need for compassion. Ten points out of ten. Top ten, Clang Kapow. It was a good episode, but now I usually go around this episode when I'm playing the old show, all rated as shit. So, Singari, eight. Love the chess game with Perkins. And the climax. Pastor and Cobus, because of Lockwood and Kellerman, give it a nine. Bartholomew Foreman, and a good early episode, gave it a solid six. And Polly Valley gave it a ten. Her overall fans scored about an 8.2. Not bad. What about you, Charles? What did you think? Do you agree with the fans? Okay. I'm about in that area with the fans. Now, I've used this comment before in it. I've looked at actually with an IDM trivia question. trivia question. But that the reason that uh, the reason the man trap was actually aired first is that they had actually they had actually filmed at least three episodes 
And when it got time to air, they looked and said, well, which one had the most action and the most aliens in it? And therefore, Mantrap actually got to be first run. Even though, as you look at this episode, you can tell this was right at, this was more of a pilot episode of seeing how the ship's going to change. They mentioned that post that Chekhov isn't there. Well, Chekhov always in commando season two. But definitely, Ahura's not on stage. Scotty's not really. I don't think Scotty's the engineer as much as he's actually on the bridge crew. So they think he's actually flying at one point. So it was interesting on it. For a while, I'd forgotten about this area. I'd forgotten about Gary Mitchell. And as I'm watching this, like, oh, yes, this is the origin of the character that we reviewed one of the comics of. I forgot which series it was. We had a definite interesting, interesting, review, interesting revisit of Gary Mitchell. But we also got to see a little bit of the early... TOS era and how it was going to change as time went. So definitely an interesting episode. I think just like the cage about Nate with it. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because this episode is, I think, maybe the only episode or maybe one of very few that explores a pretty big sci-fi concept that happens in a lot of other books and movies, but doesn't happen in Star Trek a whole lot, which is the limitations of the human mind uh, itself. So you remember that the reason that Gary Mitchell becomes who he becomes in this uh, episode is because he has what they say is a, is a high ESP rating. And so Star Trek starts at the very beginning with this concept that there is a sixth sense uh, that human beings can potentially tap into and that this is actually something that's tested in Starfleet, uh, presumably maybe in the academy or, or maybe in your application to the academy or something, and that uh, Starfleet officers actually have, I think they call it an ESPER rating or an ESP rating um, and so they, it, it's like a measurable quantity that they kind of deal with. And I just, I just think that's so fascinating because I know, like, when I was a kid back in the 70s, you know, people still talked about ESP a lot. I think it was a, a concept that people were really interested in. I think people like, uh, you know, Shirley MacLaine and others uh, later on in the 70s and 80s kind of grabbed onto that and, and had these concepts of taking the human mind further and, and exploring, uh, you know, untold reaches of the human mind. I, for one, would kind of love to see some sort of return to that. And I mean, you know, we get a little bit of that in Star Trek with our exploration of our aliens. Um, the one place I can kind of see something similar happening right now is in Discovery, where we have a character like Book, who technically is an alien, but really reads as a human. And then he's kind of got this like mental ability that's in the background that nobody really understands or knows where it comes from. And it's really powerful. So, you know, we're getting a little bit of that here, but that's one of the reasons that I really like where no man has gone before. Cause I like 
that Star Trek started out at the beginning exploring those types of concepts. And, you know, of course, necessarily, we also explore concepts like, uh, you know, when you have infinite power, you you just sort of don't care about the little guy anymore. Um, you know, Gary Mitchell turns against his best friend because now he's got too much power to really relate to to Kirk on a on a personal level or on a human level anymore. So pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think an eight is probably about right. Uh, you know, it's a very, very, I think, strong pilot episode. Um, I agree, Emissary is still the best ever pilot, in my opinion. But this one is is pretty darn good. And I think you're right, Charles, in what the article is saying. This one reads like a pilot. You know, the man trap, you watch that, and and it's a fun episode, but it doesn't read as a pilot of a show. This one actually reads as a pilot of a show, which I also really like about it. So, yeah, overall, I give it pretty high ratings. What do you think, David? Uh, 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 wow. Um, I got totally confused about the whole man trap episode because I thought you guys were talking about the salt monster, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> So, yeah, I now kind of remembered what you guys were talking about. And, um, yeah, I didn't realize that was actually kind of like a second uh, pilot. I actually thought that was just some sort of episode that was, like, going down the line. I was just like, huh, that was interesting. But um, other than that, I, <clears throat> I it's been a while since I've seen any of the old films, so I have to definitely go back and look. But I... Uh, yeah, I, I totally got confused. I was like, okay, so where's this six cents come from with the salt monster again? <laughs> but yeah, uh, but yeah, um, it, uh, I, I guess I don't give any kind of number about how good it was because I'd have to go back and look. But uh, I probably have to agree with the fans, just you know, just because. <laughs> but yeah, that's my opinion. Well, this this was a interesting episode. Like Charles says, it kind of it's a step backwards because if you watch the cage and then you watch this episode, they, it, it's a perfect transition. It goes from the cage, uh, it goes yep. from the cage to where no man has gone before, and then man trap. When you when you watch them the opposite way, when you go from the cage to the man trap, and then where no man has gone before, it doesn't make any sense because it's stepping backwards. Um, they have different uniforms. They have different technology. Just between where no man has gone before and Man Trap, Star Trek changed quite a bit just just in those two episodes. So I, I kind of think where no man has gone before uh, fits in better as a pilot, like Eric was saying, than the Man Trap. Uh, I mean, I like the Man Trap, don't get me wrong, but not as a pilot. I think this is more of a pilot episode. Um, this introduces the uh, Great Barrier, which is where Cybok takes the Enterprise in Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, where God is hanging out. Uh, only in this episode, it makes people go psycho that have Esper abilities. So they kind of mm -hmm. play with the Great Barrier at the center of the galaxy a little bit. It starts in this episode. Isn't that where the Q hangs um, out? <laughs> I'm not, no, they hang out in the continuum. That's a totally different joint. Is that at the center of the universe? I don't know. No, we don't uh, know. I thought that either. might have been it's on another plane of existence. <laughs> uh, but this also, this episode also introduces a giant phaser rifle, which never shows up again. Um, 
<laughs> more importantly, this episode marks the very beginning of making canon mistakes. And all the fans like to point to, I don't like Discovery because of canon. I don't like Picard because of canon. I don't like, well, you know what? First episode of Star Trek breaks its own canon. Because when Gary Mitchell, who's Captain Kirk's very best friend from the Academy, puts his tombstone up, does everybody remember what the name on the tombstone <laughs> <Yep>. is? <laughs> yeah. yep. James R. Kirk. <laughs> it ain't James C. Kirk. And so, oh, nope. <laughs> you know, you, you got to figure so they made a canon mistake right off the get-go, very first episode. So I don't put much, really, a lot of credence in the, in the, you know, the gatekeeper canon argument because Star Trek breaks canon right from the start, right off the get-go. So take that with a grain of salt. Take it however you want to take it, but uh, you know, don't. Well, and that's the kind of that's the kind of. I mean, that's the kind of argument folks make when they when when they have a hard time seeing what the episode is actually about because that doesn't that has absolutely nothing to do with what the episode's about, right? The episode is about asking questions uh, about what would happen to a human being if suddenly they were granted omnipotent powers. How would they act? How would they treat their friends differently? And I think it's it's really interesting to see this episode juxtaposed against the one where Riker gets the powers of the Q because Riker acts totally differently, right? He actually refuses them. He's like, nope, I don't want them. Nope, I'm not going to be a Q. Nope, take him away. Just I don't I don't want anything to do with omnipotence. And Gary Mitchell it's because you saw that episode. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You mm-hmm. saw that episode yeah. at the Academy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. There you go. <laughs> He's like, don't do what Gary Mitchell did. <laughs> I don't. But, it's just interesting to uh, see yeah. those two pinned against one another. You know. Well, yeah, because. Uh, uh, Doctor, what was her name? Denner? Denner? Dennehy? Denar, what was the name Denny, of the of those? Denar? It was Denner. Denar, yeah. Dennehy? Dr. Denner. Denner. Yeah. Uh, she's just the opposite. She gets the power, the same power as Gary Mitchell, yet yeah. she turns on Gary Mitchell. So um, it, it was interesting. But but it's also not the first time that Star Trek has um, really dealt with the Esper thing because uh, Betazoid, you know, the on of Troy. Um, is kind of is an esper, right? Yeah, it's true. I, and my comment was more about not that we haven't seen an alien that doesn't have those types of powers. I mean, we have all sorts of people with telekinesis and you know mental powers and stuff. But but this this episode actually shows you know kind of a hyper evolution of a human being who evolved quickly because they already had this other. Sixth Sense ability, which is a concept that Star Trek, as far as I know, threw out for human beings after this episode. Like, I don't think it's ever mentioned again that people have an ESP rating or, or a Sixth Sense in Star Trek. Yeah, people being human beings. Well, wasn't there an, another episode called Lights of Zetar where the same thing happened to a bunch of crew members? Very similar? Uh, yeah, it, 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 it yes. It's true. That one is a little different, but yeah, it, it, you're right. You're right. And it, uh, does that one, is it, does it actually happen to those characters because of their own mental abilities though? I think it's just kind of more of a random occurrence now, right? I don't think they talk about yeah, I, ESP in that one. Yeah. I'd have to, I'd I, I remember the episode you're talking about, but yeah. It's been yeah. a long time, but yeah. Uh, so anyways, I, I did enjoy uh, where no man has gone before. I thought Gary Mitchell was, 
he kills my favorite character, uh, Jose, the engineer, <laughs> and he kills him. I'm like, oh, wow. Every time I like a character, they killed him. Uh, it started with Star Trek, where no man has gone before. <laughs> and he wasn't even a red shirt. <laughs> so he got off. It's probably because Although, he was so upset having to wear those silver contacts the whole time. Because I will, I will tell you, I, I bet you that 1960s contact technology was not very good. And I think we read somewhere that, uh, I, I remember us talking about this before, that he couldn't see a thing when he had those contacts in. They were really, really irritating to his eyes. And so good for him for being able to act his way through that, because that, that had to be pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I Emma, Emma. <laughs> wow. Did she see a triple? weather gets nice, lots, lots yeah. of activity. I, I don't have AJ hanging on me, but I, I do have the dog here. If it's not one, it's the other. But this is live radio, guys. That's what you get. So, uh, anyway, <laughs> you know what? I'm with the fans. I'm with the fans on this one. I think about an eight. It's about right for this one. Um, you know, it, it, it was a good episode. It was fun. It, it asked a lot of questions. It challenged you. So I think an eight is just about where it should be for, for my overall score. Like I said, I yeah, like I soundtrack. agree with you. I think, I think, about, I think an eight is about the, right. The music is, is really well done in this one. Um, and, again, I think it goes perfect if you watch The Cage and then this. It just transitions really, really well. And then you go into Star Trek as we know it, you know. And by the way, if this episode had been, uh, was traditional, then Jose Tyler would have had on a red uniform because he would have been an engineer, and then the red shirt curse would have started right from the, right from the beginning. But <laughs> as, it, as it turns out, uh, in the original Star Trek, they didn't have red uniforms yet. So they only had blue and gold. Otherwise, it would the the death of the red shirt would have started right from right from where no man has gone before. So just if I throw that out. They're like, how can we anyway, kill off X-rays? Let's see. Put red shirt on them. So guys, uh, that wraps up another show. Uh, where does the time go? It just flies right by. Uh, I want to let you guys know that next week we're going to be talking about Star Trek: The Next Generation Encounter at Farpoint and all good things. So we're going to be talking some Q, and the trial never ended, or did it? <laughs> That's what we're going to be talking about next week. We're also going to be talking about um, the new uh, uh, Star Trek convention that used to be Las Vegas. It's, in, it's in no more. Chicago. We're going to be talking no, about the that a little Vegas, bit. We're going to be talking. We'll talk about that next week. Yeah, yep. we're going to talk about that next week. And we're also going to talk about Michelle Nichols' um, uh, documentary about working with NASA. We're going to talk about that next week. We're also going to talk about uh, what happened to number one and where no man has gone before. Why did she disappear between the cage and where no man has gone before? Uh, what was the original name of the Enterprise intended is written by Gene Roddenberry. We're going to talk about that next week as well. So you don't want to miss it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Same bat time, same bat channel also a sunday at seven o'clock you can hang out with myself and the leslie hoffman who happened to have been in the episode blood oath on star trek voyager doubling balana torres uh we're going to be talking in stunt treks i don't know what we're going to be talking about but i can guarantee you one thing 
we're definitely going to squeeze Planet of the Apes into the conversation because we always do. Other than that, I have no clue. But that'll be Sunday from 7 to 8 o'clock. Uh, join myself and Leslie right here for that. Um, and unless anybody else, anybody else have any, any news they want to throw in that's happening local, where you're from? Not yet. We're getting there, but not quite yet. Yeah, yeah we're getting there. Too. Over here. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to hopefully we'll be doing some being able to do some games at Free Capo's Bakery very, very soon. So that'll be fun. So I guess I mean, I'm about to go eat dinner. Does that count? I'd uh, like to say thank you to David for calling in tonight and hanging out and truck talking with us. Thank you so much, David. We really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us. Yeah, you're welcome. Have fun. It's always fun to hear from our fans. And of course, we couldn't do the show without Eric. So thank you so much, Eric, for hanging out and trek talking with us tonight. Thank you so much, Eric. Uh, you bet. Had a blast as always. Always fun. And, of course, we couldn't do the show without Charles, my right-hand man. So thank you for hanging out and trek talking with us tonight, Charles. It was great. Oh, always fun talking trek. And, of course, thank you to all you guys listening, no matter where you are. We appreciate your support, and we really appreciate you guys tuning in whether you're listening live or whether you're listening on a download. And please remember, if you're listening from the U.K., uh, to mark the momentous occasion, if you guys keep breaking records, and I'm wondering if next week maybe we'll hit 5.4%. I mean, every week our U.K. listeners have been creeping up. Every week you guys set a record, and, and you, you shocked me by breaking the record you just set again. Let's see if you guys can break that record again. And please head over to our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond, A-N-D, spell that all out, and say, hey, Uncle Jim, I'm in the U.K., and I listen to the podcast, and I will send you something special. It's my way of saying thank you for supporting us because we really do appreciate it. So please do that. Even if you're not listening live, if it's Tuesday, if it's Thursday, if it's Saturday, if it's Sunday, it doesn't matter. Shoot me a message over on our Facebook page and I'll send you something special. So that's it, guys. That wraps up our show for tonight. I'm your host, Uncle Jim, coming to you live from Rutland, Vermont. And I want to say thank you and good night. Everybody, please stay safe and be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Good night. Can we go already? Yes, fine. Engage. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.